It's like, hey, if I can't find financing or I can't find this and the deal's off and I still don't know your earnest money. I mean, that's part of it. There are unfinanceable deals out there. So, you know, whatever your reasons are, make sure there's enough in there that are broad enough that you can get out of the deal. And, and don't be like me. That's the other piece is don't be like me and afraid to walk away from deals. I don't like it, but I'm getting better at it. It's not the mistake that matters. It's how you deal with it, what you learn from it, and how you apply that lesson to your life. Welcome to Multifamily Missteps, where your host, Jerome Myers, brings on apartment investors from around the country, big and small, to share with you the lessons they wish somebody would have told them. These short episodes are designed to expedite your journey to growing a profitable apartment portfolio without all the mistakes that others have made. We're super excited that you're here. Now, let's jump into the show. Everybody, and welcome to Multifamily Missteps. I'm your host, Jerome, and I got Sam Wilson in the building with me today. Sam, what part of the world are you in? You in Tennessee, Georgia? What gives that away, man? Come on, can I, can I hide it? I can't hide it, can I? I'm in Memphis, Tennessee. Memphis, 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 Memphis. And it's just been a pleasure getting to know you. I was on your show a while back, and I was like, man, this guy's doing some stuff. I haven't really heard him on a lot of shows. I got to get him on here. Maybe I can get some exclusives. So for the listeners, they may not have been exposed to you up to this point. Give them a little bit about your background and what you've been working on most recently. Yeah, background is uh, solely entrepreneurial in nature. Grew up short. I'll give you the, the 30 second version. Grew up a relatively poor family. So with that comes in, and I'm not a highly educated family. So with that comes the, uh, you just, the, the, you learn to work early. So that was a great blessing in that I had, you know, grew up with a work ethic, but also meant that everything we did had to be entrepreneurial because one, education really wasn't that important. And, um, you know, all you knew how to do was work. So just always had the need to build businesses and kind of uh, in my in my blood. And so that said, built and sold a business by the time I was 30, sold that and then got into real estate. And I've done every iteration of real estate that I think, I mean, there's two asset classes I've never touched, office and retail. Outside of that, I think I've done it all. Probably not. We could poke holes in that statement, but it certainly feels like I've done it all. So yeah, that's uh, that's a little bit about it. Right now, I'm solely focused on the RV resort space, and that is uh, that's a lot of fun. But certainly, if like I said, I've touched uh, pretty much all the asset classes up to this point. So the people out there, they're they're like, wait, <laughs> if you sold a business, why aren't you retired? So building a business, and I don't know what it is, but I think a lot of the principles that we use to evaluate multifamily deals are applicable regardless of what type of business you're buying. Talk to the listeners about a big exit at 30 and then, you know, being able to redeploy that capital that pay you while you don't have to devote a ton of time to them. Well, it wasn't a big exit. It was a small exit. I mean, it was a business in the trades just coming off of the tail end of the pandemic. Not pandemic, excuse me, the 08 crisis. And, you know, businesses just weren't that valuable at that point in time. There was no economic recovery. Uh, in 2007, we had 30 employees. In 2009, we had one. And so we built that company back up to six or eight guys. I'd had enough of the industry. It was in the flooring industry. So those, those businesses just don't trade at, you know, the multiples that real estate properties do. But still, it was, it was the biggest payday I'd ever had. And it gave me, it gave me a couple years time. I mean, that's that it did give me that confluence of time and money, which you just don't get very often. So yeah, it was, it was, it was a couple, we bought a couple years of my time where I could then focus on other things. And, um, I think you asked how I got into real estate or what was the next question? Well, so it's funny, right? Because 
when you got that check, it felt like a big exit. Oh, for sure. It's right? It, yes, it was huge. I, I, I put it in the bank. It was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> like, yeah, it was, it was, it was mind boggling to me. A liquidity event. And then because you made it out of nothing, right? It was, right. you, you started selling. It sounds like you started selling some flooring and then you built a team and then you had challenges with the team and then you built it again and you built it to sell. I see that book over there on the bookcase. That book and was so, instrumental in that, yeah, in that yeah, selling yeah. of that company. So you got your business to a place where you could sell it. Now you have more money than you ever had at one time. Yep. You're like, well, what do I do with it? I mean, my answer would be go buy a Lamborghini. You chose <laughs> not to do that. And now you've had exits or I suspect real estate deals that make that feel like it was Bush League. It, it was a pretty small thing. And so it's really interesting where we where we are on our journey. Our perspective makes a huge difference on the way we see things when we're in the situations. That's you said it, man. You absolutely said it. And there's no wrong or right to it. I think that's that's something that uh, if I were listening to this and have an experience and exit, I would probably feel that a little bit of disappointment myself. Like, oh man, I haven't done that yet. No matter how old you are, you might be in your 40s here and this and go, gosh, I've never experienced that. Don't, don't let that hold you back. I mean, the, there is still lots of runway and, and you can do anything you put your mind to. So you're absolutely right. That's, that's, that's how it felt. It was, it was huge to me. Well, and I suspect it gave you confidence because most people don't, touch every facet of real estate except for two of the asset classes so you've been out here experimenting chasing yield probably getting some returns and i suspect because of that exit that everything that you've done since that point has worked exactly as you planned it to go right (laughs) right Yes, man. Where have you been all my life? Whispering sweet lies right in my ear. No, man. I've I've made so many mistakes from that point forward. My gosh. Yeah, I could I could write a book. I think if you want to talk, if you want to keep this show short, we should focus on the things I've done right because there won't be the list will be like one, maybe two long. Like I married a great woman, and then outside of that, I don't know what the successes were. So yeah, I can write a book on mistakes. We just got to figure out which one we want to talk about. Yeah. So, and that's spoken like a true operator. I think a lot of times egos get out of whack when we have success and then we have another piece of success. And then there comes a point where we get humbled and we get reminded that we're not as good or as smart as we think we are. And that's the whole impetus of the show. It's opportunity for people to learn from the mistakes that other people have made in order to help them make a higher level mistake versus something that a rookie would do. And so, Sam, you've got a bunch of different places that we could go. It sounds like you got a lot of different war stories. I'd love to learn from you. I I know that you told me before that there was a deal where you watch about 400 grand that was projected not show up, but I'm not sure if you want to go there first. But I do know that's out there, so I want to tease the listeners a little bit with that. Yeah, we can shoot, man. We can certainly talk about that. And it was really, um, it was really just a mistake of, gosh, the mistakes were many. And I even wrote a blog post on it at one point. I can't remember where I, I don't think I have a website at that point. So I can't remember where I posted that. But regardless, it how did that deal go? It was a deal that I had sourced off market and had gotten in touch with the seller. They had given me what they wanted for a price which was it, it was a respectable price. It wasn't the best, but it was respectable. 
And I had a partner uh, that I was working alongside buying these assets. And he goes, man, you know, that's good, but let's see if we can get them down a couple hundred grand, right? And so we went back and forth and we're squabbling with this. And then they came back and he said, you know what, Sam, it, it, he, and I was kind of following his lead on this because he knew more about the asset class than I did. And he said, hey, you know what, look, let's just take this to one of our buyers because X, Y, and Z. And at this point in time, I hadn't really thought about the fact that what I should have already done was tied up the property. It was, here was mistake number one. I didn't get it under contract. I should have done that from out of the gate, just accepted his price and said, okay, man, I'm not squabbling with you over a couple hundred grand on a $5 million deal because it's still a respectable price. You've been up forthright. So I didn't tie it up. That's mistake number one. Long story short, we ended up deciding that, hey, because of where they are on this and XYZ, you know, the guy I was working with, which again, I was learning from him. So, you know, I kind of went along with his his lead. He said, hey, you know, we should just bring in a, a third party buyer that has, that has done business with for years. Like this is a guy that we've worked with a ton. And he's like, I really know him. He's not going to tell anybody about the deal. We'll just keep it quiet. Mistake number two was we didn't get a non-disclosure agreement with the potential buyer. Also didn't have a representation agreement with them if we're going to broker it to them. So, and again, I've got my license here in Tennessee. So I, you know, I could have, could have brokered this to him. Uh, so there's mistakes two and three. The buyer comes along, ends up opening his yap to some other people in the industry. Other people in the industry literally showed up like seven states away the next day on the ground, you know, in their, in their blacked out, you know, the suburban and all, you know, seven suits get out of the car. And it's like, ah, shoot. And these guys come in and then they just turn it into a bidding war. So it ends up trading like $600,000 more than, and again, and of course we lost out entirely because our buyer didn't win the deal, for more than what it ended up um, originally being offered to me at. And I'm like, I'm an idiot. One, I knew to tie it up. Two, you know, we didn't get a non-disclosure agreement because we told the guy, I said, keep your yap shut. And he's like, yeah, man. And everybody's like, no, we've worked this guy forever. He won't tell anybody. Well, apparently he did. And so I'm sitting here looking at this and I'm like, gosh, even if I just conservatively tied this up, and then turned around and wholesaled this. I was sitting on every bit of $400,000. Every bit of. Because obviously the market was willing to pay $600,000 more than what the price was initially. I'm like, and I was in whole, I, at that point in my, in my you know, journey, I was, I was doing a lot of wholesaling. And so it was furthermore, just, it was just like, wait, I'm an idiot, an absolute idiot. And, and it was all rookie mistakes. It was stuff I already knew to not do. And yet I just, I broke my own rules because I thought, well, we know the buyer and we know this, and we know that. And like this guy, we We've sold a ton of property to this guy. It'll all be fine. No, man. And I also just didn't follow my gut on, which was tie up the property. So there you go. That's how I, and I could have easily moved it. I could have moved that all night, all day long for $400,000 more than, than what they wanted for it. So anyway, there you go. That's a, that's a fun one. A lot of people want to be profitable multifamily operators, but lack the knowledge, deal flow, experience, and capital to be successful. They often try to overcome these challenges out of order slowing or eliminating their ability to get the next deal done. We have developed a framework that allows them to gain the knowledge they need to find profitable deals. When they use our system, they create time and location freedom, as well as the generational wealth they desire for their family. The Multifamily Kickstart program has proven to be the fastest way to establish credibility and build a profitable apartment portfolio. Hop over to drawmyers.co to find out more. So tell me more about this, because I think building rapport with sellers is the game. Yeah. I think spending time with them. And as soon as you pull out the little piece of paper and say, hey, I need to scribble your signature on this line is the moment that people start to back away. They start to question whether or not 
trust them or they can trust you, so on and so forth. So as somebody who's done a lot of transactions, because if you're doing wholesaling, you're doing a lot of transactions. Yep. What have you found to be a good strategy for getting somebody locked in or tie up the deal, as you described it, getting it under contract or it's it's really contract more so than LOI yeah, so that is. you can do what you, you need to do. Because I always tell people, run to the deal, build a fence around it, and then slow down to see if you actually want it. Correct. That's a brilliant way to put that. That is absolutely right. I did not build the fence. I guess, you know, I get getting things under contract. I don't think there's any any major secrets I can think of or things that are unique to what I would do. I mean, one, just just communicate. I mean, communicate, like you said, build rapport. And then by the time it comes, by the time you guys have a mutual understanding, then, you know, get an easy contract to them. I mean, yeah, I know we get in these commercial deals. The contracts can be, you know, thicker than thicker than the Bible, but it's like, they just need all you need to tie something up as a two-page simple contract. And if you guys want to go back to something more robust later on, fine by all means. But I've found that keeping it short and sweet, this is the terms, don't overcomplicate it. Sign here if you want to move forward. That's generally worked out well for me. Is is there specific language that you tend to use when you get to the place where you're saying, hey, let's move into a contractual agreement with folks? Yeah. I mean, of course, your due diligence period, your, you know, the the terms around earnest money, if any. I always try to negotiate no earnest money. It's kind of hard to do these days. Uh, but, you know, what, what are the terms of the earnest money? And then, you know, of course, just getting your price and, and just the basic expectations. I mean, again, keeping it really, really simple. I mean, none, I know none of the, what I've just said is anything no one or that everyone's probably heard before. But, you know, those are the things just so I know what my exits are and so that they know what my exits are. And so also they know what I intend to do in what time frame. Outside of that, man, I mean, it's like, We've just got a lot of paperwork out there. I think people really appreciate a simple contract. So I've found that to be really effective when somebody can read the basic terms, 20 bullet points or less. Okay. And so getting them to contract, I think most people, there's kind of a pucker factor there. They're like, this is real now. Right. What do you do or what would you encourage somebody who was coming to you to do to make sure that they have an out, right? Because getting the contract is easy. Getting out of it without losing money, that's the scary part, especially if you find out that it's not what you thought it was. Yeah, and for sure. And I just had that happen here, gosh, I don't know, a month ago where it was like, I got I to gotta bow out. And I don't like bowing out of deals, to be honest with you, Jerome. It's, it's uh, I kind of feel like a failure when I do because it's like, look, they, we just uncovered some stuff that it just it no longer worked the way it was going to work when we initially reviewed the deal. You know, we, we had a financial clause in there in, a, in, a, in our underwriting and if anybody's experienced the hardening of the insurance market recently, you know, we had a quote that came in like 120000 more dollars a year for the same policy that was costing the current sellers like 50. And so I was like, well, I can't go from 50 to 180 on a property that's only throwing off 600 grand a year. I mean, I can't just, we can't, we can't swallow that. Our numbers no longer Straight work. to the bottom line there, bud. <laughs> Absolutely. And there's no chance of recouping that on some other form of, I can't value add your insurance policy. So, <laughs> uh, so that being said, you know, I guess making sure you have your outs, that's the biggest thing, whatever they are, even if it's a financial, I mean, this is a catch all, but there's, 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 you know, in your due diligence, just making sure that there's a financial clause or something in there that says the financing clause. It's like, Hey, if I can't find financing, or I can't find this and the deal's off and I still don't know your earnest money. I mean, that's part of it. There are unfinanceable deals out there. So, you know, whatever your reasons are, make sure there's enough in there that they're broad enough that you can get out of the deal. And, and don't be like me. That's the other piece is don't be like me and afraid to walk away from deals. 
I don't like it, but I'm getting better at it because that's something else that's cost me money is not walking away from deals when I should have. So yeah, I guess I don't know if that answers your question or not, but I tried. No, absolutely. It, it did. And I'm trying to get the extra ones because you've already given us the golden. I'm, I'm trying to get a little bit of silver and bronze in on this one too, because I think most people don't really understand contracting. They understand, hey, I got a deal. I think I got a deal to, oh, I got wrong assumptions. I don't have anything right here. And it's going to sink like some lead if I actually buy this deal. Yep. And on the surface, you may think you have something. And if you don't protect yourself contractually, you can lose the whole deal. <laughs> which which this is a bit of hearsay, but I, I've taken it to heart in its own right in that everybody says hard money is hard, but is it really? I mean... When your money goes hard, I don't know. I don't have personal experience backing out of a deal after money's gone hard, but I've certainly, you know, heard enough rumblings in the uh in in the commercial real estate space that's like, yeah, your hard money isn't actually hard. Like you you get the right you get the right team on board and that that money will be coming back to you. So, hate to say it. And again, I I wouldn't suggest that. I'm not suggesting that you Well, I think you have to have the contract written properly. Yeah. Right? There are non-refundable deposits and Pretty hard to get around that without being able to demonstrate that something was misrepresented by the seller. Right, right. Yeah. And again, nobody wants to go there. That's the worst case scenario where you're like, oh, shoot, I'm trying to get out of something I, I should have long, long ago walked away from. But yeah, that's, uh, I don't know. Hopefully that helps. What did you, did you change your processes in order to make sure that this never happened going back to, you know, not tying up the deal? I, I, I think, I think these are things you just, you don't have to change. I mean, this was my own internal process that I just didn't follow, right? This wasn't on, written on a, hey, here's everything we do. It's just like, oh, yeah, this is this is my own internal process, and I violated it. So, no, I, had, I don't have to change anything more than just remember. Like, oh, yeah, remember that time that you stunk and didn't tie up a deal? No, I don't, I don't need a process written down to remember that one. So, you know, absolutely not. I didn't, I didn't do anything other than just take note. I think that's, that's the thing about mistakes. I think that is that entrepreneurs in particular are willing to fail. I think that's the important thing is that we're going to fail. As long as you just, you obviously don't have a, 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 you know, fatal failure. I guess not fatal is probably the wrong word, but you're doing, th- you're, you're going to do things, you're going to fail. And when you do that, yeah, you just, you just got to be able to learn from that lesson and, and, um, you know, remember those mistakes. Love it. So the final question, the question I ask everybody, Sam, what words of wisdom do you have for the listeners? Man, make life count. That's uh, that's it. It was uh, Albert Einstein that was attributed to this quote. He said, that which can be counted oftentimes doesn't count and that which counts oftentimes cannot be counted. So, you know, for me, do the things that in life maybe that, that you can't count because those are the ones that count the most. You know, I, I got to I gotta ask, give me an example of something that counts that's not picking, countable. Picking squash with my kids this morning. It was awesome out gardening with my children. Like that's fun. That's fun for me. It's fun for them. And those, if I didn't take the time at eight o'clock to do that this morning, I mean, I don't know, you know, that's, that's the stuff that, that, uh, it doesn't matter how rich you are in the world. Those moments are, are just as sweet, no matter how much money you have. So do the things that like that. I think that's, that's really valuable. What a beautiful way to end it right after father's day, ladies and gentlemen, Sam Wilson, knocking it out the park for us on multifamily missteps until the next time the packs with you. We'll talk soon. Made it all the way to the end, so that means you love this episode of Multifamily Missteps. I need a favor from you. The only way this show grows is if more people know about it. So do me a favor, take a screenshot and post it on your favorite social media platform and tag me in it. 
Who knows? We may have you as the next guest. I look forward to sharing the episode with you next week.